0: Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles up to the Gospel of John. Um, we're going to be in the Gospel of John chapter 20. We're going to be looking at the first 10 verses. Um, as many of you know, if you've, if you've been uh, with us for a few weeks, we've actually been studying the first epistle of John. And so I thought it would be very interesting today on this Easter Sunday to look at the gospel of John and see what John says about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But before we, we get into our passage, I want to pose to you a, a question. How much evidence do you need... To believe something, does everything you believe have to be verified by your own five senses? How much evidence do you really need? Now, I will admit to you right away, before we get into this particular sermon, I myself am a bit of a skeptic. For instance, uh, recently in our house, we've got we got those chocolate Easter eggs. And there was a debate about whether or not the Easter egg was solid chocolate or whether it was hollow chocolate. And the debate went back and forth until I took the egg out of its container, set it on the table, and smashed it with my hand. And in that moment, it became very clear that the egg was hollow. And one of my children did not like the fact that I smashed the egg. Until I gave them several pieces of chocolate, and then they were satisfied with my solution of solving this problem. But for most of us, the amount of evidence we need to believe something is smaller than we would think. So let let me give you some examples. Do you believe space exists? Now, for some of us, if we put our tinfoil hats on, we would go, no, I think it's just a government conspiracy. But for most of us, we, we've seen pictures of space, maybe even videos of space. There's scientific data that supports that space exists. But the number of people who can say they've experienced space with more than one of our senses is, is actually very small. The number of people who have traveled beyond low Earth orbit or have either circled or orbited or walked on the moon in history is only 24. Only 24 people can actually give testimony to the reality of space. Or how about this? How about on our own planet? The ocean is a a very vast and wide place. But it's, it's typically not argued that the deepest place in the ocean is this place called the Challenger Deep. It's in the Mariana Trench. It's the deepest known point of the seabed on earth. It's somewhere between 35,768 feet and 35,856 feet deep. There's been direct measurements from deep diving submarines, remotely uh, operated underwater vehicles, all kinds of different tools have been used to measure this. But as of July of last year, the list of people who'd actually descended into this Challenger Deep is 27 people. Only just a handful of people can give testimony to the depth of this particular trench. Trench. But for the Resurrection, we have more evidence than all of that. We have eyewitnesses' accounts in four Gospels, testimony from Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, that Jesus appeared to Peter, James, Paul, the 12 disciples, and then 500 people at one time. The evidence for the Resurrection of Jesus is overwhelming. And for those of us who believe already, the evidence strengthens our faith. And at the same time reveals to us lessons that are important for us to learn those who do not believe in the resurrection of jesus christ yet my prayer is that the evidence of the resurrection of jesus christ brings you to the point of belief like i mentioned before the last several weeks we've been studying first john he starts his epistle with these words in 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And now what we're going to do, what we're going to see in John chapter 20 is exactly what John was testifying to in his first epistle. And so I want to invite you at this time to to stand with me for a reading from the Word of God. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. When he saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw... And believed. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Oh, excuse me, verse 9. For as yet they did not understand this, the scripture that he must rise from the dead, then the disciples went back to their homes. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. The thesis, the main idea for today, out of this particular passage... Is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most amazing event in history all of Christianity hangs on this moment if Christ stays dead then we have no hope many have tried to deny the authenticity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ but John in his gospel gives us the evidence we need to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ As we look deeper into the resurrection, we see that John's also provided several lessons to help us in our faith. I think there are four points of evidence or testimony of evidence from this text today. Here are the four. Mary Magdalene, Peter, John, and the tomb. Let's start with Mary Magdalene because she's the first character that we interact with in this particular story. We must first ask, who is this Mary Magdalene? Well, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2 says that she had seven demons in her. When she meets Jesus, she's indwelt by seven demons. And Jesus' interaction with her leads to these demons being cast out. What happens in that moment, John chapter 8, verse 12 says, that he is the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of light. And Mary has an experience with the light of the world who had driven out the darkness of those seven seven demons out out of her and now she only wants to follow him. Mark tells us that she was there when Jesus dies on the cross. That as a... sign of affection an incredible love for Jesus she's with him from the moment in which the demons are cast out all the way up until his crucifixion on the cross mark 15 verse 40 says there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome What we know is that Mary had extreme affection for Jesus. And it's no wonder why. The great things that he had done for her, even in just casting out these demons, radically changed Mary's life. Mary follows along with Jesus and ministers to him along the way, but in his death and in his burial, she was prevented from ministering to him because of the Sabbath. Just a few verses previous to these in John 19, 42. It says, so because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. They only had a certain amount of time in which they could bury Jesus before the Sabbath day began and they would no longer be able to work. But Mary, desiring to minister to Jesus, is the first one to go to the tomb at the moment that they can go. This is the the evidence that we see here. Mary Magdalene being one of the first people that saw Jesus die and where they laid him to rest, she is now one of the first ones to the tomb. She sees him die, she sees him buried, and now she's one of the first ones to go to the tomb. And what does the text tell us say that when she, what does the text tell us that she saw when she arrives to the tomb? She sees the stone Taken away The idea that's being communicated here is that the tomb would have had a stone that covered its doorway and the stone would have traveled in a track back and forth to cover the the door but could be rolled away to open But the word that's being used here is that the stone wasn't just rolled away. The stone was taken away it had been moved completely showing a finality to the open tomb that it was removed to not be put back. And at first the text tells us that she believes Jesus' body has been stolen. Not that he rose from the dead, but that his body had been taken. It's not just a few verses later in this chapter when Jesus appears to her that, and she believes that he is risen, but at first she is so struck by what she sees She has a hard time believing the words that Jesus had even communicated to them previously, that he must die and rise again. So the main pieces of evidence that Mary present to us is that, in fact, Jesus died, and in fact, that Jesus was no longer in the tomb. But according to the Gospels, there were three other, or the three other Gospels, there were three women who went together to the tomb that morning. But John wants us to, to focus on Mary Magdalene. He's the, she's the only woman that he mentions here, and we must ask the question, why? Why would John only mention Mary Magdalene? Well, I think it's, it's on purpose because John wants to teach us a few lessons about Mary, two lessons that are applicable for us today. Number one, that as we look upon Jesus Christ as the crucified Savior, as the one who has changed our lives, there should be an extreme affection for Christ for what he has done for us. When you think about all that Christ has done for you in your life, if salvation was the only thing that he had done for you, that would be enough for him to be worshipped for eternity. But, not only has he provided salvation for us he has provided physical blessings as well jesus christ has done more for us than than we will ever know and as a result of all that he has done for us there should be an affection that we have for him and that affection should produce perseverance in her affection for jesus christ As far as Mary is concerned, a crucified Jesus has no more to offer. There is nothing else that Jesus could do if he is dead in the grave. But out of extreme affection for Jesus Christ, Mary Magdalene goes to still attend his body. Brothers and sisters, this should be an encouragement to us that out of love, out of affection for Jesus Christ, perseverance in the Christian faith should continue on until we get to see our Savior face to face. Even though Mary is hindered by the Sabbath day when no work could be done, as soon as she could serve Jesus, even though she believes Him to be dead, she goes out of her enduring affection Let me just say, brothers and sisters, we're going to face difficult, impossible situations in our lives, but our affection for Christ must push us forward to do what He's called us to do out of our great affection for what He has done for us and even for who He is. The second character, the second point of evidence we see in this particular text is Peter. In his gospel, John has painted a very specific picture of Peter. He's painted a picture of Peter as a fighter, but someone who is a bit impulsive. If you remember just a few verses previous to this in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come to arrest Jesus, Peter draws his sword and chops the ear off of one of the servants. Not only is he a fighter and a bit impulsive, the picture that's painted by John of Peter is that he's a denier. Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him during his crucifixion, and he does. Remember, Jesus says that you will deny me three times and then a a rooster will crow. Matthew tells us at this point, Peter goes out after Denying Christ, and he's not mentioned in the crucifixion story again until now. But here's the evidence that Peter provides for us. Just like Mary, Peter is also an eyewitness of the empty tomb, but he's the first to enter the tomb. And what he sees there is the next two big pieces of evidence. He's an eyewitness of the empty grave clothes. This is actually the first piece of evidence to show that his body wasn't stolen. Because what thief would take the time to remove the clothes from the body and and put them in a pile and leave the clothes behind? That's piece of evidence number one. But John goes on to tell us that there's another piece of evidence related to his clothes. It's, It's what John calls this face covering. This face covering John tells us in, in verse six, was actually organized, Or in verse seven, the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up or rolled up in a place by itself. And again, this is meant to indicate that, that no robber, no one who broke in to steal Jesus's body would take the time to fold up the face covering and, and set it to the top, set it to the side. This indicates... That Jesus actually rose from the dead and left behind evidence to show that his body actually rose, not that he was stolen. But what lessons might we learn from Peter? Let me suggest to you that there's two lessons to learn here as well. What we see, I think, in Peter is that faith develops over time by the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. This is embodied by Peter, the denier, who is now Peter the first to enter the tomb. Yes, there is a moment of faith when you put your trust in Jesus Christ as the only way to be saved from our sins, but our faith grows over time. Just as a baby must learn to walk, so must we learn to run the race of faith. But here's the second lesson, and I think this is an important lesson for us as a church as a whole. At this point in the story, Peter seems to be a lost cause. He seems to be an impulsive denier who has left. And oftentimes when we view people in our own lives as they're growing in their faith, we might be quick to dismiss someone who would appear very similar to, to Peter. But we must be very careful To not pass judgment on those who seem to be slow in faith, who may prove to be of great courage in the end. And so as we think about our growth together in Jesus Christ, the call is for patience as the Holy Spirit grows our faith together. The third point of evidence that we see in this particular text is also the author of this particular gospel, that is John. John is the only disciple that is specifically mentioned in any of the gospels as being near the cross when Jesus died. And it's first when you hear John writing about himself, you might think that John is on a little bit of a, an ego trip here. Because he calls himself the the disciple the one that Jesus loved. And then the next thing we hear about John is that he beat Peter in a foot race to the tomb. And so John is saying, Jesus loves me more, and on top of that, Peter, I'm faster than you. And if you, if you know any men, this seems like typical men stuff, right? Everything is a competition, even if the other person doesn't know you're in a competition, right, men? But let me suggest to you what John is actually doing here is in some sense attempting to take significance off of himself and put it to Jesus Christ, that the most important thing that could be said about anyone in the text is that Jesus loves you, and that in the love that Jesus has given to you, you desire to run and work and strive as fast and as hard as you can to be near the side of Jesus Christ. But what's the evidence that, that John gives us here? The text tells us that even though John beats Peter to the grave, he doesn't go in. It says that he stoops to see the grave. And if this was an actual competition, John would have lost because everyone knows if you're in a race to a specific destination, you have to touch it to be declared the winner, right? At our house, or even here at the church, oftentimes our kids, when we leave, they race each other to the car. And you can't be declared the winner if you don't touch the car, right? John, in this moment, has the very privilege of being the first one to the tomb, but he doesn't go in. He stoops to look into the grave. And like Mary and like Peter, he gives evidence to the fact that the tomb is empty. But as he stoops and looks into the grave, he's actually the first to see the grave clothes of Jesus lying in the grave, but Jesus is not in them. After Peter goes into the grave, then John finally follows. Let me suggest to you that there's two lessons to be learned here as well. If Peter is meant to express faith and Mary is meant to express affection John in some sense I think is meant to express love love can be expressed quickly but can stall but true love will reach its ultimate goal he hesitated to go in but love propels him to go in here's the other thing I think to to learn two things to learn here true love lowers itself. John stooped down to look into the tomb, hoping to see what we don't know. The truth here is to receive the message of salvation, we must lower ourselves to see our need for Christ. We must stoop ourselves down to the level that the Scriptures call us to, to see ourselves as sinners in need of a Savior. But the last point of evidence here is the tomb itself. If you look just a few verses previous to this, this text in John chapter 20, if you look back to verses, John chapter 19, verses 38 through 42, it should be just on the next page of your Bible, you'll see the, the description of this particular tomb and where Jesus was buried. John 19, verse 38 through 42 says this, after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of mirth and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. Now, I'm going to finish reading this, but doesn't this just blow your mind away to know who's there that this interaction that jesus has with nicodemus quite a bit earlier in the text leads to this moment in which jesus is now dead and nicodemus is there to minister to his body verse 40 so they took the body of jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices as is the burial custom of the, the jews so think in some sense a mummy Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. There are two things inside of the tomb that are meant to show us that Jesus' body was not stolen. I've mentioned them already. But the two things that are mentioned here are the burial cloth that are now empty and the face cloth that is now folded. It's folded and in a neat pile. And we can't underestimate how important this is to prove that Jesus Christ's body was not stolen. The fact that these things are folded and and laid in their place, and the first people to go to the tomb to discover this, notice right away that the grave clothes are empty. Up to this point, the amount of evidence of eyewitness accounts that are equal with each other, support each other, are the same story of each other, and I hope that you're catching the significance as well. We have uh, police officers who are part of our our church, and any one of them can tell you any time when you take a testimony from a crime scene, oftentimes it is very difficult to get the eyewitness accounts to be the same. People who witness the same event have a different story depending on maybe the angle that they have saw. But here, all of these eyewitness accounts agree, not just amongst Mary, Peter, and John, but amongst all four of the Gospels of Jesus Christ. This is either the greatest scam in the history of scams or the absolute truth. But here's three lessons that I want you to think about in terms of these linen cloths. Number one, Jesus Christ is both God and man. He lived a perfect life as a representative for us and in doing so he's often referred to as the second adam the first adam in genesis is brought about into a perfect sinless world in which he's only given one rule to complete and he fails in doing so jesus christ as the second adam is born into a sin cursed world in which he lives a perfect life dies a perfect death, and is resurrected to new life. When the first Adam commits sin, there is a symbol of that particular sin. The thing that they recognize in their sin is that they are naked. And the thing that that covers the sin of nakedness is clothing. God clothes them. But in the second Adam, when he completes the war against sin and death, he puts death to death. He conquers sin. When he resurrects as the second Adam, he no longer needs the symbol of the sin of the curse of the first Adam. And so he leaves behind his clothes. He returns to the joy of eternal life where sin and death rule no more. What else we see here is Jesus Christ. The lesson to be learned is Jesus Christ as the overcomer of obstacles. He overcomes the distance, the gap between heaven and earth, the distance between God and man, the obstacle of a sealed grave, the obstacle of death to life. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ can overcome any obstacle ever. And Jesus Christ must rise to satisfy the wrath and justice of God the Father. If he stayed dead, there is no hope. And even though some of those who saw all these things with their eyes and heard Jesus teach about his crucifixion and resurrection, the text tells us at first they don't believe. Look at verse 9, chapter 20, verse 9. For as yet, they did not understand the Scriptures that he must rise from the dead. But friends, what we do know, brothers and sisters, what we do know, the whole of Scripture has been pointing to this moment. Passages like Psalm 19 or 16, Psalm 16, 9 through 10 say, Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secured, for you will not abandon my soul to shield, nor let the whole, your Holy One see corruption." Isaiah 53:10 through 12 says, Yet it was the will of God to crush him. He, was put, he must put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressor. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Or Hosea chapter 6, verse 2, after two days he will revive us. On the third day, he will rise up that we may live before him brothers and sisters friends even the old testament points to this moment of the resurrection of jesus christ what i'm saying to you is whatever amount of evidence you think you need to believe in jesus christ the word of god is the superior witness to lead you to to belief Everything you need to believe is in the Word of God. And by the per- power of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, you can see that Jesus Christ has been God's plan to save us from our sin from the very beginning. Jesus must come and die, but not stay dead. He must rise to new life so that we might have new life in Him. Friend, Won't today be the day that you trust in him for salvation? If we repent, which means to turn from our sin and turn to God, we will be saved. If we confess our sin to him, if we confess that we are sinners in need of salvation, he has promised to save us. But Christian, today... Many want us to believe that our faith is a blind faith that has no evidence. Be strengthened to know that your faith has all the evidence it will need to grow and flourish, First and foremost, know that Jesus is alive. The grave couldn't hold him. So today, this week, and with the rest of our lives, let's worship him until he returns to take us home to heaven with him. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord, we are so thankful that you are alive. That you loved us so much that you would descend from heaven and come to earth, that you would live a perfect life and die a perfect death so that we might have eternal life in you. Lord, we have taken this time to pause to celebrate the greatest event in human history, but Lord, help this celebration to continue today, this week, and the rest of our lives. Lord, help us to see that you are worthy to worship, you are worthy to endure all things but Lord, I ask if there is anyone who is here today, if there is anyone who is listening online that does not know you as their Savior, that today would be the day that they would turn from their sin and they would turn to your loving arms as their Savior. Lord, may the evidence of your word overwhelm their senses and may you give them the gift of faith that they might believe. Lord, we ask all of this in the precious name of and by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.